guys, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abujamra, and I'm your host. If you've been here before, then you know this gig, and you know that I start by inviting you to subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't done so yet, uh, you can do so by going to iTunes and looking for the Living with Power Hope podcast, and we're so glad you're here if it's your first time. Uh, we are uh, in a series called Dear Lena, which uh, basically is a series where I talk about uh, what it means to live in a post-Christian culture. Uh, the goal is to give hope for the Christian in a post-Christian culture, and I do so by giving you biblical truth for everyday life. And we've done that by looking at questions every week, one question a week on uh, uh, God, faith, culture, life, and everything in between. So if you have a question that you're dying to get answered, you can always shoot me an email at dearlena at livingwithpower.org, and I will try to answer it. Uh, many of the questions that have been sent to me have been fascinating and instructive. I hope they've encouraged you. I hope they've given you hope in a post-Christian culture. Uh, by post-Christian, by the way, we mean that uh, a culture that no longer holds the, uh, the beliefs of the Bible and Judeo-Christian beliefs as the main civic religion in our country, in our, in our world right now. Particularly here in the West, uh, our ethical mooring is no longer tied to scriptures. And in fact, today, most people in our country are biblically illiterate. They are unfamiliar with the Christian faith and often indifferent and even angered by Christian doctrine. As a nation, we've rejected God's laws. And so to be post-Christian is to be post-truth. I have my truth, you have your truth. And frankly, we're not sure if there is such a thing as truth. Well, um, we believe there is. And this uh, podcast is meant to um, help encourage you to stand strong in your faith and to help you to have answers to those who ask you of the reason that you believe. And so today's question is a great question. It's one that needs to be answered. Uh, someone sent me this question. It says, Dear Lena... I am having a crisis of faith. I am reading God's word, but having doubts that the Bible is the literal truth. She goes on to say, and I think this part of the question is even more important. Is it ever okay to change my mind about what the Bible is teaching? Um, that's a great question. Today, many people are changing their minds about what the Bible is teaching under the premise that the Bible is not literal. When people, I am a literalist, and when people talk about the Bible being the literal word of God, what they generally mean is that unless a passage is clearly intended by the writer to be an allegory or poetry or a specific genre, then the Bible should, in fact, be interpreted as literal statements by the author. I believe that that's truth. And in fact, the Bible says so about, about itself. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is often a passage of scripture that um, claims that. And so it might be worth reading for you here before we get into the three points that make up the uh, answer to this uh, question. Uh, but basically, uh, that scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every work. And so where it says here, all, all scripture is breathed out by God. The idea is that it is breathed out word by word by the Holy Spirit given through men. In fact, Peter wrote in his letter in second Peter chapter one, he wrote uh, verse 20 and 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that um, connotes this idea of the Bible being inspired, uh, to be read literally. Uh, it is infallible, meaning that it is incapable of making any error. It is inerrant, which means that there's an absence of error in it. It is authoritative. I believe all of these things about God's word. And so this person is asking a question that is indeed 
uh, uh, legit in a culture where now we no longer hold to um, this idea that the Bible is authoritative and literal and infallible. And so now we come to it, uh, not me, not we, but, but people who call themselves Christians come to them and say, you know, we've thought different, wrongly about the Bible and we need to reinterpret what it says in light of the culture. And so I, I want to give you three thoughts about, is it okay to change your mind about what the Bible is teaching? And I want to give you three, again, conceptual ideas about that. Number one is this. The greatest danger in approaching the Bible is the danger of a me-centered approach. This is important. You cannot approach the Bible centered around me. If you come to the Bible thinking about what you are going to get out of it, then you're going to miss the whole point of the Bible. What I believe about the Bible always reveals what I believe about God. The Bible is a book not about me, but about God. Now, it relates to me, and God has written it so that I understand my place in relation to God. And so my existence ultimately has to do with God. And so the Bible is a book written about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it tells the story of God and redemption and how we fit into that picture. We are not the superstars in the story of the Bible. God is, and we are here to understand how we relate to him and how we are to be at peace with him through the death of his son. So when I try to make the Bible about me, I'm in fact putting myself in the place of God. When I try to make the Bible about me, it's easy to then pick and choose the parts I want and the parts I want to change. You'll hear a lot of people, especially from the reformed part of the church, use these words sola scriptura. And what that means is like based on the Bible alone. And so uh, what the Bible teaches is in fact about God. You cannot change it to suit what you want, what you're comfortable with, what, 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 what magnifies your own comfort and desires. And yet that's often what's being done in today's day and age. So when I make the Bible about me, it becomes easy to choose relevance over obedience and submission to authority. So we want to be relevant as opposed to being submissive to authority. That becomes our goal. We want, we want to make it a little bit more palatable. And so when I make the Bible a book about me, my needs, my desires, my purposes, my future, what I, it, it, this is becoming a language in evangelicalism that's all too common. You come to church and rather than hearing about God, you hear a sermon about your best life yet and, and on and on. And then when you're the center, the superstar in the story of the Bible, you miss the whole story of the Bible because the Bible's book not about you, but not about me, but about God. And when he's back in a place of authority, and you understand the story of the Bible as the story of God, you're less concerned about relevance and popularity and more concerned about obedience and submission to authority. So the greatest danger when you approach the Bible is the danger of a me-centered approach. Here, here's a second big idea. The greatest temptation in approaching the Bible is the temptation to allow a changing culture to change God's timeless truth. This is the temptation. This is what the question kind of goes back to. Is it okay to change my mind about the, well, why do you want to change your mind? Well, because the culture now believes things that are in dissonance with the Bible. I like that word dissonance. I think I've used it a lot in this series. And, and, and basically we're living in a day where to believe what the Bible teaches puts you at odds with the culture that no longer believes it. Uh, but but the, the bottom line is that a changing culture uh, might challenge but can never change biblical orthodoxy. This is not a new battle. Uh, this is a battle as old as time. In fact, the changing culture is not a new threat to God's timeless truths. Uh, the Bible has always been countercultural. In fact, from the very beginning, this, this tension to, to change what the Bible says has been there and has been a battle. Now, why? Why? Because people want to change really the heart of it. It isn't just to change what the Bible says, but really if the Bible is God-breathed, if it is what Peter said and what Paul wrote, 
that it is inspired, what the Holy Spirit wrote through them, that this is the inspired word of God, it's the very breath of God, if that is true, then no wonder that the battle is always for the validity, the truth, the reliability of Scripture, because way back in Genesis chapter, uh, I believe chapter 2, and going into, uh, actually chapter 3, is the big chapter that's the fall of mankind, the story is of Adam and Eve, and uh, the serpent, and the serpent comes to Eve and says, and, and he uses this sentence, did God actually say? So all the way back to Adam and Eve, the battle has always been this fight for, uh, has God really said? Is God trustworthy? Is his word trustworthy? So if the Bible is the inspired word of God, then the entire battle to change what the Bible says is a battle to change what God has said. And that's blasphemous. Uh, so the, this, this, this tension between culture and God's timeless truth, this fight is not new. In fact, you can look through the Old Testament and see all throughout the Old Testament, this battle between what people wanted, their opinions on marriage, and they married multiple people, they married out of their own faiths, things that God had taught them against, that besides marriage, by the way. Look at the Ten Commandments, God gave them the law, and over and over again, you saw them fighting that and wanting to change what God said and gave them, and, and they suffered for it, they were judged for it, and God constantly brought them back to him but we see this pattern of course in the new testament we see it equally one of my uh, favorite uh, there's so much in paul's writings that kind of talks about that second timothy chapter three and going into chapter four is just very prophetic to the times that we're living in right now but um but i love second timothy four three and four i think this is apropos for this conversation it says for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Um, uh, Timothy 6, 3 and 5, 1 Timothy 6, 3, and 3 through 5 says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Jude says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, these are convicting verses that talk about this tension that existed back in, in, in the day of the New Testament where people wanted to change what God's word said to suit them. And um, a changing culture is uh, not loved by changing. If you want to love the, the culture, well, this culture that's changing, this post-Christian culture, you're not showing them love by changing God's truth, but by sharing his truth in love. The key is not to change it, but to share it. And again, I've seen this pattern right now in modern day teachers. We see it, you've seen it happen. And there's a lot of prime examples that come to my mind of uh, specifically, by the way, women, but men also that have been very public about changing God's truth to suit their culture. And they've grown their platforms. They've grown their popularities. They've sold more books, but they have not shown love because they're really becoming what, what Timothy would describe uh, uh, false teachers, and uh, that is that is a big responsibility. And I say this with love. Again, I did not list any names, but uh, I don't think the point is to list names because it's so common now. Um, just spend time reading Second Timothy chapter three and four, and I think you'll see so much of 
of, of what's happening in our culture right now has been has been has been spoken of in 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 the Bible. There are no surprises. You know, we look at our world and think, man, how can we make it? How can a Christian make it in a post-Christian world? What do we do about the Bible? You know, this person starts to question, I'm having a crisis of faith, and so much of crisis of faith boils down to, are you going to believe what makes you comfortable or what God has said? So the greatest danger in approaching Scripture is the danger of a me-centered approach. The greatest temptation is the temptation to allow a changing culture to change God's timeless truth. I love, uh, by the way, uh, this reminder from uh, 1 Peter. This is a verse that's quoted from the Psalms, but he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 23 and 24, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For here he quotes, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Uh, Satan loves to misquote, misrepresent scripture. Listen, just because someone quotes a verse does not make them a Bible teacher. In fact, Satan quoted verses and he was the devil incarnate, the devil himself. And so don't just think because somebody quotes verses that means that they know God or they're obedient to scripture. It's about submitting to authority, submitting and obeying the word of God and letting years of orthodoxy, a change in culture might challenge, but cannot change years of decades and centuries of biblical orthodoxy. There are certain things that have been uh, written and decided on uh, over the years that we cannot just change because, man, our culture has changed and our society has changed and we're not a post-Christian world. We want to be relevant, we want to be cool. And so um, that is um, not just a mistake, that is sinful and blasphemous and arrogant, which brings me to the third point, the greatest arrogance in approaching the Bible is this belief, is this believing that I know best. The greatest arrogance in approaching the Bible is believing that I know best. And again, we've seen this play out thousands of years of, of solid Christian orthodoxy and then a teacher in you know 2020 saying, hey, I don't believe the Bible says that. What I feel the Bible's saying is, and kind of coming up, this is so arrogant. A humble approach to God's word takes into account centuries of orthodoxy. A humble approach, and, and by the way, I'll stop for a second. Many of you are going, but, but, but wait, Christians back in the day used to believe that slavery was okay. And and look where they got them. And everybody likes to say that. And listen, uh, first of all, um, they were wrong. If Christians uh, believed and practiced slavery, they were wrong. And uh, believe it or not, it was uh, many of the Christians that were the ones who overturned slavery. William Wilberforce comes to mind, but there are others who fought the battle against slavery. There's, there were many God-honoring people who, who fought for truth and for the sanctity of life and for people being made in the image of God and continue. Con the Christians continue to fight for those things. So just because some people have, have used the Bible wrongly, even people who claim to be Christians and interpreting the Bible literally, uh, by the way, God nowhere in his word condones slavery. In fact, he gives, um, there's a lot of verses about how to behave as masters and slaves, but it does not condone slavery. And uh, um, anyway, uh, I think, you know, be careful with your examples and when you're, with your, you know, thinking that, oh, I can stump them. Again, a, a point of arrogance here. Um, the greatest arrogance is this belief that I know what's best. So a humble approach takes into account centuries of orthodoxy. A humble approach submits to God, even when it's uncomfortable with his truth. And uh, that's tough, man. There are some things that God tells us that, that I might disagree with humanly in the flesh. Uh, and and, and uh, sometimes you're uncomfortable. You and I can be uncomfortable with what God has said and with his truth. And so the test then is do you submit to God's word or do you uh, decide that you, again, it goes back to a me-centered approach to scripture. So in a culture with no absolutes, God's word is full of absolutes. He is absolute. He's absolute truth. He's absolute light. He's absolute goodness. 
And, and there, Jesus says you uh, follow the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That is an absolute. There's no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. The, that, those are absolutes. And in a culture where absolutes have fallen by the wayside, of course there's going to be discomfort with the word of God. But you have to decide who you're going to submit to, the culture or God. Me or God, again, there's, there's those decisions that you have to make. A humble approach seeks to understand uh, also, by the way, on that note, uh, because some, there are some issues of conviction versus preference. Conviction versus preference. Um, a lot of great um, stuff that you can find online. I think uh, if I have this chart that I really like uh, at planobiblechapel.org, of all places, slash, I think, biblical convictions. I think we'll put that in the notes. But it kind of goes through sort of the essentials, the non-essentials, and then the difference between convictions and personal preferences. And and um, the bottom line, that there are some things that are non-negotiable, and there are some things that have room for disagreement. Not every Christian will agree on everything. I mean, it's social drinking is one aspect of it. Uh, there's, there used to, you know, used to be, I grew up where, you know, the teetotalers, and now, you know, it's like, of course, uh, there are many Christians who have alcohol and it doesn't make them, you know, this is not, this is a preference, not a conviction. Now there's wisdom in that. There, you might not drink so that the weaker brother doesn't stumble, but it's a point of preference. Whereas uh, God being a Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, salvation by Christ alone, um, uh, through grace alone, those are convictions. And so uh, there's a difference between conviction and preferences. And so uh, can you change your mind about what the Bible is teaching? You might change your mind on a preference, uh, but, 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 but be careful when you do that. Uh, study it, research it, and then, uh, and then study also what is a preference and what is a conviction. And uh, uh, some things uh, cannot change. And so when it comes to God's word, um, uh, is it the literal truth? Well, uh, I believe it is. Uh, I believe the Bible teaches that it is. And if you're having a crisis of faith, perhaps it has more to do with your willingness to submit to God and his ways in a difficult and post-Christian culture. Perhaps you need to, re to be reminded today that you're not alone. Uh, that yes, these decisions are hard to make, but uh, it reminds me of the story of Elijah who thought he was the only one still living godly and he complained to God about it in 1 Kings 19. And God says, hey, there are 7,000 others. You're not alone. Many others hold to the biblical truth. And uh, I, I like to call them the remnant. Uh, they're the faithful believers who continue to hold fast to the word of God. There are plenty of them all over the place. And uh, if that's you, be encouraged today. Um, be careful before changing your mind about what the Bible is teaching uh, and make sure that if you ever change your mind, it is on minors, very minors, and not on the majors. Now, there are, again, there are some areas where the church has um, made some changes, uh, not, you know, and, and they have been very good changes, but by and large, some of the things and some of the issues that I'm referring to are, are issues that yeah. are much more, um, uh, that are issues of conviction today that ought to be, um, uh, great care ought to be taken in those uh, changes. And so the greatest danger in approaching the Bible, again, let's think conceptually here, the greatest danger in approaching the Bible is the danger of a me-centered approach. The greatest temptation is the temptation to allow a changing culture to change God's timeless truths. And the greatest arrogance in approaching the Bible is believing that I know best. Hey, that's our question for today. Those are my thoughts on this. If you have more detailed um, you know, nuances that you want me to tease out, shoot me an email. Or if you have any question for Dear Lena, uh, send me an email at dearlena at livingwithpower.org. As usual, go to livingwithpower.org, click on join our community, and you can hear me live teaching on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. 
uh, I'm going through um, a, a scripture teaching, basically very practical, very bold, very, uh, I think, exciting. And uh, we're developing a community that loves God and is standing in the truth. Hey, uh, if you need prayer, shoot me an email. Dear Lena at livingwithpower.org. Those emails come to my inbox. Uh, If you like this podcast, share it with someone. And if you need encouragement, again, we're here for you. We love you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the hope of the world.